Welcome to the DHG podcast series with a focus on life beyond numbers with topics about people, careers and flexibility. And now, here's your host, our Director of Corporate Communications and All Things Fun, Alice Gray Harrison. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of our DHG podcast series. I'm Alice Gray Harrison, your host, and I really love this venue because we get to hear from our people about the things that matter the most to them, flexibility, their careers, and of course, stories about our people. In 2003, the American Heart Association and the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute took action against a disease that was claiming the lives of nearly 500,000 American women each year. It's a disease that many women weren't paying attention to, and many thought that it mainly affected men. Today is National Wear Red Day, and this marks the 15th year of this special awareness disease targeted at heart disease and heart issues. Since its first inception, we've made great strides, but there's still a long way to go. Let's start by highlighting some of the strides that we've made. Nearly 90% of women have made at least one healthy behavior change. More than 50% of women have increased their exercise. Six out of 10 women have changed their diets. One third of all women have talked with their doctors about developing heart health plans. Today, nearly 300 fewer women die of heart disease and stroke each year. And death in women has decreased more than 30% over the past 10 years. We do believe a lot of this is through awareness. And DHG is participating in National Wear Red Day. We're donating $10 for every person at DHG who wears red and then post their photo on, on social media with the hashtags DHG Impact, Go Red for Women, and National Wear Red Day. Be sure you're checking us out on social media to see some of our really great pictures. Heart disease affects both men and women, and one of the stories that I felt compelled that we all should be aware of is with Brian Carlton. He's our market managing partner for Metro DC. You know, and while today is originally designed to raise awareness for women, through that, it has also helped raise awareness in men. Several years ago, Brian faced heart issues, and he is here to tell his story. Thanks for having me, Alice. Yeah, we're so delighted to have one of our leaders with us today. So let's just dive into the questions here. So, Brian, I mentioned you had a life-changing health experience. Do you do you mind sharing with us about this experience? No, no I'd be happy to. It started in, in about 2008. I would regularly play basketball and exercise, and I noticed some differences when I was doing that. When I'd go really hard and playing basketball or when I exercise really hard, I would get uh, very dizzy and almost faint. And in addition to that, I was having some general lightheadedness and some bouts of chest pain. So eventually, and I'll get to that later, but eventually I went to the doctor and this began a journey of uncertainty for me and my family for about four months that included numerous doctor's appointments, tests, monitor wearing, uh, several trips to the ER with chest pain, and for those of you who've ever had to wait in line at the ER, um, <laughs> you go there and just tell them you have chest pain, you get to go straight to the front of the line, so that was good. Uh, but ultimately, I was diagnosed with three heart rhythm disorders. They're called atrial flutter, atrial fibrillation, and tachycardia, and I'm not going to go 
into a ton of details of what those are today, but uh, they are fairly common disorders, and the cause is uncertain. Uh, my doctor said I could have been born with it, and a lot of people live with it and can live with it and live a healthy life fine and don't even know they have it. What becomes a problem is if, if, if you become symptomatic, and in my case, I became symptomatic, and I, I referred to the symptoms a few minutes ago. So I was requiring treatment, as my doctor said, through all the good news is in all the tests I had, my heart plumbing was perfect, but my electrical system was not functioning properly. So in my situation, I was a stroke risk, not a heart attack risk. And my doctor kept reminding me that the shortest term risk I had was that I would faint and fall down and get a head injury or injure myself in that regard. So I required treatment and I scheduled an ablation procedure and I was put on some medication and some restriction for a period of time until we got that scheduled and completed. So I had the ablation procedure. That was a procedure where they went through my legs and cauterized my heart and kind of did rewiring and it fixed some of my problems, but not all of my problems. So ultimately I was referred to a specialist at Hopkins who prescribed a blend of medication that allowed me to function without symptoms. And we did that for a while, but uh, my wife and I both noticed that the medication had some significant side effects and we decided that I didn't want to have to do that for the rest of my life. So after long, long thought, we decided to have a second ablation procedure. Those are fairly low risk procedures, but still going in and, and messing around with your heart made us both a little nervous. So that right. was scheduled and I had to go off my medication for three weeks prior to that. In preparing for that second procedure, the doctor had really challenged me to get as lean and fit as possible to eliminate the risk of complications with the procedure. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. I lost a lot of weight and I went off the medication. And when I went off the medication, I felt great, which I hadn't felt that good in a long time. And my doctor told me I could try some light exercise, but if I was feeling any symptoms, I should shut that down immediately. So I started doing some light exercise and then didn't have any issues at all. No dizziness, no chest pains. And so it was a little more detailed than this, but ultimately the doctor and Robin and I decided to not do that second procedure and see how I did without the medication. And I've done great. So that was probably 2010 or 2011. So this was a pretty significant two or three year period that I went through with all of this. But I went off the medication and I haven't had any any issues. Wow. So I assume that that meant a lot of lifestyle changes. Can you tell us what some of those are? Sure. And uh, um, most of them would be pretty practical for somebody with heart issues. But I've constantly battled my weight and I'm battling it now. And that weight loss was very positive for me in a lot of different ways, not just with the heart issue, but just in overall health. The doctor really had me focus on my stress and fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, not That's a direct cause of my situation, but it certainly wasn't helpful. Sure. So I have found intentional ways to better cope with that. I make sure exercise is a scheduled part of my week. You can mm-hmm. see the calendar appointments on my outlook that I reserve for <laughs> getting to the gym and working out, and I also make sure that um, I'm getting the proper amount of sleep. And then I was a big coffee drinker, and caffeine is not something that necessarily causes the problem I had, but it it exacerbates it. So I have uh, quit drinking coffee, which was very hard for me, and I take in very little caffeine now. And and I think the other thing that it kind of taught me is to keep my regular doctor's appointments 
So this this is not. I'm going to go off script for a second. So they wouldn't be able to cat. Could they have caught this issue at your regular doctor visit, or did it require you to be tested further? No, it required me to be tested further. Unfortunately, and that was probably the most frustrating part of this. Like a typical person, I wanted this diagnosed and fixed in a day. <laughs> and unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. So uh, they had to do some pretty significant test to eventually diagnose it. And I think the monitor wearing was the main part where I wore a heart monitor that freaked okay. my daughters out at the time. <laughs> but, um, whenever, whenever I would feel symptomatic, I would just record my heart rate at that point, and that ultimately helped them diagnose me. Wow. So in your eyes, why do you think it's important that people and companies, firms like DHG, participate in awareness campaigns such as Wear Red Day? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And you covered some of it, Alice Gray, but awareness is so important. And, you know, I didn't realize until I prepared for this, that National Wear Red Day, that the heart disease is the number one killer in women. And as you mentioned, it's driven some healthier habits. And, and women, and probably all of us, and I mentioned the ones I I did earlier, and I think I think having an awareness that folks should be regularly checking their cholesterol levels, which would be a normal part of a physical, I think is so important. I read that eighty uh, percent of cardiac and stroke events can be prevented with education and wow. action. Um, so I think it's very significant that we're kind of all aware of it. I think. The other thing for me on the awareness front, when my heart issues began to happen, I was in my young 40s, so not young, but certainly didn't consider myself old with wife, my wife and two young daughters at home and definitely was taking my health for granted and kind of felt invincible. I'd never really had any health issues, never really got sick. So when the symptoms first started, and I think, you know, I exercised regularly, so it was very evident to me when the symptoms first started, but I was very stubborn about it. So I didn't tell my wife. I didn't go to the doctor for months, for, for at least three or four months. And now I realize how incredibly stupid that was and how much I put myself at risk in doing that process. So the entire process I went through took a, took a heavy toll on my wife and my daughters because of the uncertainty created, but yeah. I put myself at so much more significant risk by not going to the doctor right away and just being in denial about it. Yeah. So I think it's important that we're all aware of what's going on with our health, including a big part of it. My doctors told me this is listening to your body. If mm-hmm. you're feeling something that you, that you don't feel is right, then there probably is something wrong that probably can be treated. And I think having regular physicals and following guidance on things like colonoscopies, mammograms, etc., can make a huge difference. And to me, that's all part of the awareness equation. Wow. You really do have a powerful story. And thank you. But I, I am going to switch gears since I have you captive for a moment. You're so successful and someone that many of us look up to. So what career advice do you have for someone who might be just beginning their career? That's also a great question. And I do a lot of our campus recruiting and I get that question on campus a lot. And uh, I'll break it down in, in about four pieces of advice that I would normally give. First of all, for those that don't know me, as well, I've spent my entire 28 and a half year career at DHG, and, but I wasn't sure I was going to survive my first 18 months. <laughs> and so some of my bosses that at that time that maybe listened to this probably would say they weren't sure I was going to survive it either. <laughs> but there, there's some lessons I learned there and just some things that I've become aware of over the years that I think are really important for, especially for our entry level staff. The first one I would say is always self-advocate. 
folks that they're passionate about, but we're not mind readers. So I think uh, we need to know what our what our folks are passionate about, what makes them tick, what makes them excited to come to work. And I think part of that is self-advocating and regularly talking to your performance coach, the scheduler, the partners, other leaders in the firm about what, what you want to do, what you want to learn, what you want to be trained in, what you're passionate about. Because I think that's a win-win for, for both us and the employee. The second thing, and this is really the only reason I survived my first 18 months with the firm, is I found a good mentor. And these weren't necessarily people that were assigned to me to be my technical mentor, but these are people that I work with regularly that were more experienced to me. And I listen, I asked them a lot of questions, probably enough to drive them crazy from time to time, but they gave me great advice from simple stuff like what to wear or not to wear mm. uh, into the office, how to communicate with the partners and managers that they had had relationships with maybe for five or six years, you know, that I was just getting to go, how to be respectful of the administrative staff, and many other just day-to-day kind of business life lessons that, that I would not have been aware of, and I would have made even more mistakes that I did without having these good mentors that were really looking out for me. And I think that the, the last two that I mentioned, and this has changed some as our communication style has changed, but I think particularly entry-level staff, be responsive, have that self-monitor rule that you're going to respond to emails from others within a certain period of time. I think sometimes maybe, hey, we don't know the answer, so we're going to put it off. And, and that might send an unintended message to the deliverer uh, or the requester. So mm-hmm. I would say always be responsive. Even if you don't know the answer, that's fine. Respond and let them know because you'll be judged a lot by your responsiveness and you know your ability to get back to people regularly. And then I think finally, and my daughters would probably tell me to shut up now because <laughs> um, it's a common theme mm-hmm. I have with them, but talk to people. I mean, the communication tools we have now are amazing. Email's great. Link is fantastic. Text are wonderful. But many of the people you'll be working with, uh, including external and internal clients, are maybe in a different generation and likely prefer a face-to-face conversation. And there's just certain messages that are more appropriate for face-to-face conversations. So really make an effort to talk to people in the office and at the client sites. That is terrific advice. All of it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Alice Gray, and thank you for allowing me to share my story. Yeah, absolutely. And just to kind of close the loop on everything, I think one of the things that makes Brian's story really special is that it wasn't like some major act that led him to begin questioning his heart. It was some subtle changes in his body that led him to the doctor and probably ultimately prolonged your life. Right, Brian? Absolutely. So as we celebrate Wear Red Day, be sure to check out social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. You'll see some great photos of all of our people around the firm wearing red. Thank you all for listening to Life at DHG, our premier podcast series. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll tell your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our DHG blog for more great stories about our life beyond numbers. Join us next time for another edition of Life at DHG. Life at DHG.